inspiring conversations with the most compelling performers, educators, authors, and product manufacturers of our time. This is the show about all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. Classical musicians obtain an absolutely incredible amount of information about their instrument and reach a level of technical proficiency that is found in few other professions. However, at the end of the day, most classical musicians have no idea about their own general anatomy and how to prevent injuries. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Catherine Peters and Chelsea Savage, who are going to be presenting at Clarinet Fest this coming summer. Just a reminder that today's episode is not to be misconstrued as medical advice. If you're experiencing symptoms, please seek treatment. This is for discussion purposes only. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast at clarinet.com. If you'd like to listen to an extended ad-free version of today's episode and many others, head to clarinet.com slash subscribe. Don't forget to visit the Clarinet store for links to buy official apparel and special offers, products, and services, some of which are available exclusively to our listeners. And of course, I love to hear from listeners all over the world. If you'd like to get in touch with me or be a guest on the program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button at our website. Again, that's clarinet.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and thank you especially to our sponsors for helping make it all possible. renowned clarinetist David Schifrin at the International Clarinet Celebration in beautiful Portland, Oregon, June 24th to 30th. Hosted by Chamber Music Northwest, this event combines a full week of concerts by world-class artists like Corrado Giuffredi and Jose Frank Biester. There's also clarinet masterclasses, lectures, clarinet mentors amateur workshops, ensemble performance opportunities, a clarinet marketplace, and a young artist competition. Passes are on sale now, and you can learn more at cmnw.org. Have you wanted to try D'Addario Reeds but weren't quite sure which to choose? Here's how to decide. Reserve Reeds come in a white and blue box. They feature a traditional blank and are perfect for those who want to focus sound with the quickest response possible. Reserve Classic Reeds come in a white and purple box. They feature a thicker blank that provides an expanded tonal color palette, clarity of articulation, and added flexibility. And the new Reserve Evolution Reeds come in a white and yellow box. They feature our thickest blank and have a heavy spine for added projection and exceptional tonal depth, warmth, and flexibility. You'll have to try it to believe it. Try Reserve Reads now at your local music store or head to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalese mouthpiece, Complex Resonance at a Reasonable Price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code Clarinet at checkout. So I'm here today with Catherine Peters and Chelsea Savage. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. So in the world of music, I love the way you worded this on um, your introduction to a speaking event you're doing at the ICA, the International Clarinet Association, this summer. But you said, in the world of music, we don't like to discuss injuries. And until recently, we would rarely discuss injury prevention. The truth of the matter is that active musicians would benefit from knowing how to care for the muscle groups we depend on to do our jobs. Now, it's funny because this seems so obvious, but in the past, there was a whole uh, no pain, no gain kind of philosophy, and people were really shy to talk about 
about this. So first of all, why is this issue so important and how do you see your work as improving the general knowledge of clarinetists about this? I'll tell you that it's not in the past. <laughs> it's still still going um, today strong. Oh, yes. Yes, I think so. Um, and I mean, I can I can give you examples where in discussions with my peers, you know, I've basically been told that, well, it's not supposed to hurt. So if if something hurts, then you must be doing something wrong. And that may or may not be the case. What is your personal story in, in regards to injuries? Um, so you and I talked in December of 2017 mm-hmm. um, was the last time you and I had a conversation. And maybe a week and a half later, I started experiencing some pretty significant pain in my face. Um, and it actually carried on for the rest of the orchestra season. Um, I got to the April concert and ended it almost in tears uh, and decided at that point, it was time to look for some help. So I went to a TMJ specialist um, and started treatment for 11 weeks. I gave it a shake and it wasn't working. So I went and did some pretty good research uh, through the American Physical Therapy Association, which led me to Chelsea, who is board certified. Um, she's an orthopedic physical therapist, and she specializes in the face. And so I was like, let's go see her. Yeah, so that was kind of um, fun to hear about how you ended up getting in contact with me because I am really not advertising to musicians at all. And for a musician to know that a physical therapist can help them with their jaw pain was really um, helpful just to kind of start that relationship off the bat where you said, hey, I'm really struggling with some jaw pain. I think I need to be here. How can you help me? And um, I think the the rest is history. And we can definitely talk about that as we go. But um, we had started off with you kind of being in a pretty not bad place but at that point you weren't playing it was pretty bad yeah I hadn't played (laughs) I hadn't played for like 12 weeks so yeah so for for a musician yeah that's bad (laughs) I'm definitely noticing some interesting similarities to my injury now mine was uh, a very physical injury for those who don't know I fell down the stairs and severed some tendons in my fingers by falling on a glass that I was holding in my hand instead of holding the railing um like there's a physical uh, cut in the tendon. So it it may never be as good as it was. Um, But I went for months without playing. And I also went a couple years without actually getting any um, suitable treatment. And it wasn't until I met an orthopedic massage therapist and had about 10 sessions with them. um, I think I should still have about 10 more, but it is actually much better. Um, They've worked out some of the kinks, so to speak. And so, so Catherine, do you feel like when this happened, there was some sort of, uh, I don't want to say denial, but maybe that's what it was. Um, I don't know that it was a denial. And I also will pause to say that I was on break. It was Christmas. Um, so it wasn't like it happened in the middle of a really big strike. It's not like it happened in the middle of Nutcracker or something like that. Um, it was maybe two thirds of the way through a two week layoff. Perhaps then instead of maybe denial, do you feel that there was some sort of kind of uh, guilt or, or shame attached to this or fear? Initially, it was more 
curiosity to see, was this something that would be temporary and would kind of work itself out? I started kind of adapting to how much it hurt. And as it progressed, as it got worse, then I wasn't able to really ignore it anymore. So I I think I had in my mind that I wanted to finish out the season and then see what needed to be done. But I don't know that it was like denial as in, oh, no, it's not an injury. No, there was there was clearly something wrong there. I just didn't know how to properly go about addressing it. Well, I ask because sometimes these issues that you can't physically see, I mean, I know people in the past who've played through tendonitis, for example, and made things much worse. Um, now, me, I could tell there was a problem because if I looked down, my hand was you know, literally bleeding and, <laughs> um, you know, that's pretty, pretty obvious. But Chelsea, do you find that people have these sort of thoughts that I'm describing? Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the, the person. Each case is a little different, um, but it's definitely not uncommon for people to come in and have been dealing with a pain or a problem that's limited their daily function or maybe even their occupation for weeks or months. And we know that when people have chronic pain, that changes your thought process in so many different ways from even just basic decision making um, to then kind of leading back into some of the things that you mentioned, Um, just feeling more stress feeling more worry, more anxiety, um, and certainly those kind of not self-deprecating thoughts, but questions about what could I have done differently? Did I do something wrong? You know, is this ever going to get better? That can kind of lead into a worrisome cycle that sometimes is really hard to um, manage on your own. And so that's what I'm really kind of pumped about being able to help people with is offering them a little bit of hope off the bat and saying it's not uncommon to deal with these issues. And um, this is the best place for you to start as far as treatment goes. And then to see that hope transition into real change is just really, really exciting to watch happen in people. Do you think, and I guess this is a question for both of you, but do you think that this problem of sort of guilt or shame associated with injury is more prevalent in musicians or more prevalent in people who freelance for a living, or is it kind of spread evenly through all occupations? Musicians are, we are so driven and so disciplined and are so self-critical about every single little thing that we do. (laughs) And so it would not at all surprise me for that to be a really common reaction to pain would be, finding fault in ourselves that we ourselves somehow caused it because I mean for crying out loud the conductor looks at you wrong and you feel guilt so (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of a different environment for sure I would say you know based on thinking about is it more prevalent in musicians versus other occupations I see a lot of patients who work in a variety of different occupations. And I was, I have to say that I was a little bit surprised when you had mentioned that this was a thing with musicians, that there was shame or guilt associated with it. So that none of us really talked about it. Right, that too. Yeah. And so I would say that it tends, from my experience, it sounds like it's more prevalent in musicians. I haven't really talked about my experience. You know, it's been almost three years now or more than three years. I guess it happened in early 2016. And um, I have not really opened up about it to basically anybody I know. And it was very mentally challenging. I didn't know if I'd ever play again. 
Um, I mean, when I did first play again after about four months, it was a very emotional experience. Like I, I was able to move my hand and I was quite moved by this. Um, do you find that your work allows people to get back into a place where they feel comfortable to do not only proceed, but accept that this has happened? It is an emotion. You said not to get all emotional, but it, you're all of a sudden not able to do the thing that you do. There was someone else I had on the podcast. His name was Garrett Hack. And he said that 75% of musicians end up experiencing a problem like this at some point in their career for a duration of at least two weeks, I think it was. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, there was also a discrepancy between men and women as far as reporting these type of injuries. And I'm just wondering if that's something you could comment on. Yeah, I can comment on that in that we know in the field of medicine that certain conditions are more highly reported or the prevalence is higher in women. And that's a question that we kind of will talk about too, is is our conditions just simply underreported um, in male population. Um, there are certainly a wide variety of reasons that we can discuss about why that might be. Um, but I think to answer that, we just simply don't know if they are existing equally um, and just women seek out treatment more often or they're actually more um, highly prevalent, truly, in women versus males. Yeah, like the susceptibility is different. I'll be really interested to see um, Megan and Kensley's numbers from the UNT survey. Yes, yeah, for those who aren't familiar, um, I think that stands for University of North Texas, right? And um, so they did a survey on all sorts of, you know, musicians' injuries. And I think because partly of the help of the clarinet audience, um, they reached the largest data sampling ever of a study like that. I don't know what the results are, but I am hoping to have actually Megan come on and talk about that with me as well, and maybe with her research partner too. Um, Catherine, I'm wondering before we move on from your sort of situation specifically, um, how did you handle the emotional elements of it as far as, you know, being a musician and, and hoping that you, you know, people would still take you seriously? I mean, I know these are things that I, I considered. It is so funny that you are able to hit the nail squarely on the head. <laughs> like when you're when you're asking questions, you you are asking things that are like almost word for word. Like, will people take you seriously? Will you be able to play again? Like, it is so funny that you are able to do that. And I wonder, like, how many more of us are like, we'll be able to relate to those specific questions and go, oh my goodness, they're reading my mail. Like they're, they're totally in my head. Um, in my case, I said as little as possible to as few people as I could. Um, so I, I will be a little bit embarrassed if she listens to this. My personnel manager for orchestra, I actually didn't tell her about it until like seven months later. <laughs> <laughs> um, after I had been like undergoing treatment and I had seen improvement. Um, and at that point I decided to tell her, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that this is going on. And from her side, she was like, I had no idea. Like I would not have been able to tell. And I, that's because I muscled through rehearsals but also because I just I just didn't want to discuss it with anybody. There were a few colleagues that I couldn't keep it from because the first course of treatment that eleven that initial eleven weeks was um, in a splint, and it was difficult to carry on a conversation with me because I sounded like Sylvester the cat. But I I didn't tell anybody that I could possibly not tell. 
It's funny, the desire to cover it up. Like even me, the moment I fell down the stairs, like it was obviously quite painful and my hand was spewing blood everywhere and I, I was in shock. Um, but I didn't realize I was in shock and I was hoping to get ready to leave to teach in about half an hour. <laughs> and, um, I'm in the kitchen rinsing my, my hand under the sink and my wife walks down, the floor is covered in blood. The walls are covered in blood in the kitchen and there's a glass shattered all over the stairs. And she's like, what are you doing? I, what was that? And I said, well, I just fell down the stairs. I got to wash this cut here before I go off to work. And she's like, uh, you got to go to the hospital. <laughs> like you're spraying blood from your hand. Like those look like deep cuts. And I'm like, and it wasn't until about 15 minutes later that the the pain set in and the, the, the actual reality. And uh, it was weird because my first inclination was like to cover it up and just go to work. Um, but I want to talk about some ways, you know, what are some exercises that you think musicians or or stretching or something like that, that musicians can work on to help improve their their sense of general well-being and, and especially to prevent sorts of injuries, which are, um, you know, obviously not direct, such as a glass. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the the most basic and probably one of the most powerful things that we address initially in therapy with most people, not everyone, but most, is an, a postural exercise to help address any form of malalignment. Um, and this, I hate to say it, is not unique to musicians. Um we see so many people, I see so many people every day who come in and either they have neck pain or headaches or facial pain. Um, I saw a handful of people with jaw pain t just today. And um, one of the most um, basic exercises that we do is to help improve posture. So it doesn't have to be complicated. Think about you know, when your mom would say when you were young or growing up, sit up straight, you know, pull your shoulders back, you know, make sure everything's in alignment. Um, hopefully we make that experience a little bit more uh, enjoyable here at therapy. Uh, but <laughs> getting scolded by your mom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm probably not the only person who's listening who just sat up a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but what we see is that typically with our, whether it's our society or our culture, we just do so many things that are tasked in front of us. You know, we're on the phone, we're looking down, we're looking at our computers, um, we're sitting to do a ton of stuff, we're sitting to work, drive, eat. Um, and we've unfortunately lost a lot of mobility um, in, in the upward direction um, as far as our posture goes. And so um, one of the first things to work on is just kind of getting that lengthen your spine type of um, posture correction kind of under mastery before we get into like more complicated individualized treatment exercises. But um, I think sometimes patients are probably underwhelmed um, with their homework that they get right off the bat, <laughs> um, wanting something slick or smooth or fancy. And they're left with kind of like relax your face and sit up straight. <laughs> um, and it's a little bit more specific. People get more specific guidelines on how to do those. But in a nutshell, that's kind of where we start. They say that smoking and obesity were kind of the biggest killers, um, you know, which led to heart disease, of course, um, in the last generations. But I heard that now they're thinking that sitting is actually going to be the thing that claims the most lives. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's probably um, over-dramatized a bit. Um, I think they're trying to emphasize the fact that sitting is generally unhealthy. So <laughs> I don't know if it's going to actually lead to fatalities. I can appreciate as someone who's a movement specialist and helps people with movement and how to um, live comfortably, uh, that sitting is definitely contributing to a few things. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> this is a question for both of you, but do you think that... Um 
age has anything to play into this? I mean, for, for example, I know that when I was 20, I wasn't spending a lot of time worrying about my posture or all of these things. And now that I'm in my 30s, I notice that, uh, you know, I don't recover as quickly from things. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking that that will probably get worse as I age. And, and I think that this is a lot of people, though, in their, you know, in their 20s, when they're in university, they, oh, yeah, that technical problem or that posture thing. It's not going to be that big a deal. But you times it by 25 more years and you've got a real situation on your hands, literally. I think that's super interesting that you should comment on that. I say, um, generally speaking, with orthopedic aches and pains, what you're saying is true. We see more um, issues the further along in life that we get. Um, when you're younger, those aches and pains spontaneously improve. Um, you're able to kind of blissfully ignore them for the time being, you know, sleep off that sore back or neck or whatever. But interestingly enough, our presentation um, that's specific to jaw pain comments on the the fact that there's a higher prevalence in younger people and that specific to jaw pain, um, younger people have more complaints of it. And then that kind of tapers down as people age. So a, a little bit of a difference there um, between specifically TMD or temporomandibular dysfunction um, for whatever reason. But um, and there are a few reasons why, but generally speaking, people do uh, develop, I guess, less resiliency or kind of that spontaneous ability to heal over time. So as I will have mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, I, what I'm about to follow this with is not to be taken as medical advice. Obviously, Catherine's uh, situation is very unique. Um, but Catherine, I wanted to ask you specifically, what are some of the things um, besides posture that Chelsea has had you do that you found have worked well with your playing? I will say that every now and then when I came in to have a session with her, uh, I was not looking forward to it. <laughs> I knew it was going to be oh. very uncomfortable. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, I knew it was also going to be very productive. And so one of the things that I think physical therapists can offer, um, in my case, you know, facial pain, which turns out was not just limited to the face, but the exercises also went down into my neck, into my upper shoulders. But I, what I think physical therapy would be able to offer is a course of action. So if I have certain stretches that made me feel better, they may or may not have been comfortable to do, but they made me feel better. Or if she had me doing self-massage or palpation, um, then again, it may not be very comfortable, but it would be something that was productive. And there were a couple that were, again, unique to my situation, um, as you said, but that were very, very helpful. But I do think that it, it does need to be very personalized by somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, it's, it's so funny how the parallels are so similar between our two situations, despite the differences of our injuries and also the locations. Um, but what you mentioned there about the the problem being more in your kind of mouth area, but then working on areas of your neck. This is something I found very interesting too, is that I thought the problem was with my fingers, but the way that the scar tissue had healed, I was pinching some tendon that actually the biggest issue was in my elbow. And when I went to the orthopedic massage therapist, I went in there and he looked at my fingers and immediately he's like, okay, I'm going to press you somewhere. Tell me if it hurts. He pressed me on a little spot on my shoulder and I just about jumped out of my skin. It was I, unbelievable to me. And I, I, but I'm not a doctor, or, you know, whatever type of 
career you'd have to be to know exactly the human body. Um, but to me, as you know, clarinet player, I was quite shocked by this. <laughs> Chelsea, do you have comments on that? Yeah, that's commonly referred to um, as referred pain or myofascial pain. Um, that's, I think, one of the biggest joys in what we do is not inflicting pain. But no, I was going to say, I <laughs> wasn't a joy to me. Being able to help identify a source of pain or, um, yeah, I guess a source of limitation that's maybe very far away from where the patient or client or musician feels like their problem is. Um, so I, I kind of have a question back to you. Then if he, if you found a, a tender point or a trigger point in your shoulder, um, did he work on your hand or mostly in your elbow and your shoulder? Yeah, it actually, so it actually extends quite a bit beyond that because as soon as I walked in to the, the second session, um, I don't think they wanted to tell me this in the first, but he said, look, I mean, clearly there's something with your shoulder and that, you know, connecting tendon all up your arm. So that's where they focused their work. But they said after 10 or 20 sessions of working on this, we think we should switch your shoulder blades because it looks like during the fall, you may have shifted something and you're compensating when you walk and you're going to have real problems in 20 years. And uh, I was like, wow, I, I can't believe you, you guys can tell this just from looking at me. But I mean, it makes sense that you fall down the stairs. The body's only so resilient. Um, things are a bit out of whack and you, you don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea would, um, she would, there was one particular spot in our um, initial appointment that, yeah, I just about jumped off the table when she applied pressure. <laughs> um, and I think what she's saying about, um, you know, being able to see joy through that is that several weeks later, she would apply pressure to that same spot and just be like, you're not moving. And I was like, nope, I'm not. <laughs> So, you know, you guys are both presenting at Clarinet Fest this summer. How can clarinetists see this event and what kind of things will you be talking about there? So we're presenting on Friday, uh, the 26th, I believe. This is in July. This is in uh, Knoxville, the Clarinet Fest in Knoxville. Um, and we would we would love to have, you know, a packed room because we'll be speaking specifically on the topic of facial pain. Um and so we won't get into like RSV and get into back problems and all that. Even in, you know, TMD, there's a prevalency of about one third in the general population. And so why should we think that we as clarinetists have any better rates? Uh, probably more of us than one third. Um, we would love to get a packed room because we feel like this is going to be a lot more applicable then maybe a lot of us really want to admit. If we can um, make musicians, you know, have some encouragement and if we can give them, you know, a plan of action, going back to the beginning of our conversation, that's going to ease a little bit the anxiety and the guilt and the fear that, you know, we were discussing before that's caused by pain. Well, and it's interesting because I have a feeling that although, you know, mental health is its own kind of kind of thing, if one were to have these sort of injuries and then only take a mental health perspective, they're not really solving the injuries. So I think the mental health things will just come back. Um, so while I think it's important to see treatment sort of from both fronts, I definitely think that in the case of a physical thing, like it's important to address the, the root problem. Yeah, that's interesting that you should mention that because a lot of patients with facial pain, head pain, neck pain, et cetera, um, have a lot of stress going on in their life. And so that's part of my assessment on day one, too, is um, how much 
has a physical root cause, how much seems to have not of a physical root cause. I'm not a mental health therapist, um, but kind of identifying, you know, what factors are in what column and if necessary, bringing an additional um, medical provider on board to that treatment program. Um, and I wish our society was a little bit more open to that. I wish people in general were. Some really are. And they say, you know what? I don't handle stress well. I'm really having a hard time with this injury. And I am seeing a counselor. I am seeing a therapist. I say, awesome. Keep seeing them. That's only going to help things. So I hope that the, I hope that the mental health therapist or the counselors in listening to this will do the same. I'm sure they are. <laughs> um, but I think a more diverse like medical team or care team is always more more helpful as long as everyone's on the same team. Um, definitely hugely critical there. Well, it's not just classical musicians either who are are facing this. I've I've recently learned of um, so my favorite band is called Radiohead, and they uh, I have a podcast about them too, actually. Um, but I'm trying to get someone on the show who is actually the traveling orthopedic massage uh, therapist that works with the band, and every day after the concerts, they all get you know various treatments to try and keep them in tip top shape. And I wonder if this is one reason, and this is pretty far fetched, perhaps, but. You know, I wonder if this is one reason that bands like Radiohead and, and others are, are living into their 60s and 70s without problems and performing. Whereas in the past, I mean, rock careers kind of ended at 27 when the people, you know, either died somehow or killed themselves, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> oh, my. That's that's so cool that they have like they have like their own team trainer. Yeah. It's quite common. Apparently, they've got a traveling chef that goes with them to make sure their meals are good. Um, they've got a, uh, like they're, they're obviously one of the world's biggest bands. Um, they, uh, yeah, they have taken this very seriously. And I know I was reading about how some of the band members had, had experienced some problems with tendonitis. And I mean, let's be honest, a lot of rock musicians don't have the best, um, you know, technical training. And there's one guy in a different band I can think of called Interpol who used to play with his bass guitar pretty much down past his knees. <laughs> like, I mean, how many concerts a week can you play looking like that? You know? That's another very interesting concept that we try to chew on a little bit in therapy is how are some people able to do some things and um, have relatively or seemingly no problems with that? You know, how is someone able to perform with very poor posture? How come that person doesn't have um, a pain or a problem? How can, how can, how are they able to complete that? Um, maybe for years and years and years and be fine. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with something that is probably only understood in the therapy world, but it's called, it's called tissue resiliency. And so different people have different tolerances to something like bad posture or something like a forward head position or something like being able to bend over and lift with your back bent. Um, and those people have no problems. Um, and somebody says, well, why? You know, all I did was, you know, try to make the bed and now I have a backache for a week. And what we now know is that different people have different abilities to tolerate that load on their tissue. And so I don't think that's uncommon for musicians. You know, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who might listen to this and or our presentation at ICA and say, so what? I, I have these problems that you're saying are problems, but I actually don't feel any pain. Um, so what? And they're always going to be um, a handful or a big group of people who are able to get away with a lot <laughs> um, and their bodies are going to be fine. But then there are, are people who 
aren't. And so hopefully um, our talk and this podcast can help people understand that if they do have pain, there are things that really simple things really that you can do um, that don't really involve going to the doctor necessarily. You can try these on your own. If they work, how awesome is that? And if they don't, maybe you do need to see a physician. Maybe you do need a formal assessment, but there are so many things that people can do on their own. Well, you know, I think that everyone listening and myself included can either identify someone in their life who's had these kind of problems or can identify themselves. I mean, just what you said there about the person who injured themselves doing something very simple. Um, I have a friend who was just sweeping the kitchen floor and threw out a disc in her back and that was it. You know, the very painful, long recovery. It must feel so strange. Like, how could you have prevented that? I was just sweeping the floor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And how would you know ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any ways that you might suggest people take care of themselves in, in the sense of preventing physical injuries? Yeah. So one of my favorite phrases, I'm not sure who I learned this from, probably um, a professor near and dear, um, is motion is lotion. And I, I tend to hear myself uh, saying that more often as I see patients. And um, I think the variety of motion is key. Um, we know that our brains are plastic and moldable. We love to learn new things. As we go through life, we tend to do more repetitive tasks that are the same. Our routine is the same and we lose that variability. And so um, it, to encourage motion or to encourage new learning or to encourage, you know, fun. Those are things that um, we now know are so important for staying healthy. Um, they seem almost insignificant. Like that tip is supposed to help me. Are you kidding me? Like I just wanted like a stretch to do, like work on your core, like do, uh, do 20 sit-ups a day for complete health, you know? <laughs> but um, I think that something as simple as Walking 10 minutes a day can be so, so helpful for so many different things. Um, it seems stupid simple, and it is. Um, but how many of us have removed some sort of movement from our life because maybe we don't have time or maybe we don't have interest or maybe we just don't think it's going to be very valuable um, or that the payoff isn't going to be there. But um, I think that if we're talking about what can we do on a daily basis to avoid injury, I think that movement is key. Well, I wonder if we peel sort of one more layer off the onion, if we'll sort of get to what, what I found um, was the key. I think that it's mindfulness. And I've had trouble with meditation, for example, which I did try, but just being mindful of your surroundings, for example. I mean, I've, I've thought a lot about my injury and the reason it happened was because I go up and down the stairs way too quick. I tend to glance out the window as I'm running down the stairs. I had a glass in my right hand, the railings on the right side, a combination of lack of mindfulness led to my injury. Um, so now, you know, before I go down a flight of stairs, you never hold the phone. You don't check your phone. You don't look out the window. You focus on the railing. You put the glass in your left hand. If you're going to cut sharp things, you wear, you know, cutting gloves. Um, this is extended for me all the way to, I don't attempt to do things like um, my own oil change on the car or whatever, because that hundred bucks that I paid to do that, it might seem like, well, I could do it for $10, but we're talking about my career here. So no more kind of, you know, trying to do drywalling or whatever. It's, it's you got to take it seriously and treat your hands like what they are and just be mindful of your surroundings. Yeah, I think that that is huge. I'm really excited that you mentioned that 
mindfulness is something that I try to incorporate into most sessions. And um, depending on how open a patient is to hearing something like that, um, a lot of people are not even interested in the idea that mindfulness could help them prevent an injury or help them heal from an injury, but it can, and it can help the mind relax so that you can focus on healing and kind of retrain a thought process that could become quite negative. I'm hurt. I'm injured. This isn't going to get better and try to refocus that on a more positive healing perspective. So it sounds like it was really helpful for a kind of preventative standpoint for you, but it can also be really helpful while you're injured and kind of turning the ship, I guess, um, into a more positive direction, especially if there is both a physical component and kind of a non-physical component. Well, and especially if there's a behavior that you are doing that you don't realize is contributing to the pain that you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had that discussion Mm -hmm. in uh, one of our early sessions. You're like, okay, so if the playing isn't really that different, what's been different? And well... I became a mom and I have a small (laughs) child and I'm looking down all the time and I'm picking her up all the time. And like, that's not to put blame on her, but just to be more aware of my own motion. Oh, I need to lift her this way. Oh, I need to, you know, move the mommy taxi arm maybe from the left to the right sometimes, or to maybe just taxi her less. (laughs) How old's your daughter? She is four now. Four. So, yeah, I guess when we first talked, that would have been a little bit newer. Um, she would have been, what, a year and a half or two? It would have been a little over two. Yeah. A listener question came in a while ago, not to shift gears entirely, but how did you handle a playing career and a practice schedule and everything else that goes along with being a musician while managing also being a mother? <laughs> oh, I'm tired a lot. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, you know, before my daughter was born, some people said to me, like, you need to be sleeping more. Get your sleep now. And I was like, oh, sure, sure, whatever. And it's been like almost a year since I've slept normally. And it's, it's right. like, someone said to me, the tiredness becomes a part of you. And I laughed and now I cry. No, <laughs> um, in my case, when when she was born, um, I altered my schedule. I had been teaching, you know, my normal lesson load in the afternoons and evenings. I had been doing my rehearsal schedule. I had been doing my personal practice schedule. And I was also teaching classes during the day. Uh, There are a few different schools in the area that contracted me to come in and teach their woodwind classes. Um, And when she was born, I personally just wanted to be with her more because to share maybe a little more information than you were interested in my husband and I were married for 13 years before she was born and we we had been told that we weren't going to have children and so when she was born I was like all right well let's change my schedule a bit because I don't want to send her to daycare or to the sitter all day long and then come home for just a few minutes before I go off again to teach Mm -hmm. lessons or go to rehearsal So I altered my schedule to where I'm home with her during the day, like right up to a little after lunchtime. And then we have a sitter that comes for the overlap between the time that I leave and my husband comes home from work. That way, you know, I've I've started balancing out more a little bit how much time I spend with her and how much time I spend 
working. It's it's doable. You just have to prioritize and take a really honest look at how much time do I want to be spending doing X, Y, or Z. We're considering enrolling her in um, kindergarten for next year. And she's not going to quite make the cutoff um, where she could just go to public school. She'll miss it just by a little bit. But we're considering sending her to a private one. Um, And if we send her to school, then obviously my practice time is going to pick up. And everything, I think, will come in seasons. And again, the, the prioritizing, you have to go back and just decide what's important to me now and understand that just because it's not the way that it was for this given moment doesn't mean that it's always going to be, you know, set in stone. This is, this is never going to happen again. Sure. It will. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, so many people, in fact, everybody throughout history, um, who has, you know, had offspring has still, you know, had a life afterwards and then managed to have a career or whatever. And, and most people, as you find looking around do do that. I think it definitely requires just a changing of expectations. Like I'm currently not in a situation where I'm, I'm uh, even needing to, you know, practice all that much. It's not like I'm preparing for an orchestral audition or something. And those kind of things would have to go on the back burner for a while. And I've just sort of accepted that. But you're totally right. It, it doesn't mean nothing can never come back. You got to take a bit of a break mentally. And I, I wonder your thoughts on this. Do you feel like you've become more efficient in the time that you do have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny how it focuses the mind, eh? Like, I feel like I can get a whole day's work done in an hour when she's napping now, and it would have taken me a week before. <laughs> it, I, I am much more likely to make efficient use of my time because it is so much more limited. But man, the payoff, the payoff. She came to an orchestra concert, the the little kid concert, um, and she got to sit on stage. And of course, she wanted to come sit with mommy and... I'm just watching her out in the audience from the stage, you know, a couple months ago, just going like her little hands clapping. And she's just so excited because we played the Hungarian dance number five, which I don't understand why, but she was just so <laughs> very excited here. Uh, um, so the, the payoff is there and it is temporary. I know four, four years seems like a lot, like when you're 20. <laughs> four years like oh my goodness that's the entire time I was in high school but you know the, the point of reference changes I think as you get a little older absolutely yeah I had this weird realization when my daughter was like a day old or two days old I, I suddenly realized like oh my god I'm, I'm thousands of times older than her <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old and, and uh, you know when she was turning like 27 weeks or something I was like a thousand some odd weeks or whatever you know <laughs> I guess more than that Wait till she's old enough to tell you that you're old. Oh, yeah. No, I. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, well, thank you to you both for coming on the show today. This was a really fun conversation, but I also think we discussed a serious topic. And uh, thank you, Catherine, for opening up about some, you know, motherhood and injury. And these are some personal topics. So thank you for opening up. And uh, thank you also to Chelsea for joining us to discuss um, all of this really valuable um, work that you guys are doing. So where can listeners learn more about your work? Yeah, so um, they can find me at body1pt.com. I uh, practice at our North Viridian Clinic, um, and my bio can be listed there along with my email. Um, so again, that's body1, spelled out O-N-E-P-T.com. And... Um, we do have a inquiry box there that they can um, make an appointment request if 
by chance anyone's in the area and they have questions and want to make an appointment for a consultation or an injury screen, um, or uh, they can email me. Again, that's online, but it's csavage at bodyonept.com. Um, we're in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Catherine, what about your uh, upcoming ICA? Where can people find a link to this on online? Well, the Clarinet Fest, the conference schedule hasn't been listed yet. Um, it will be on clarinet.org. And then for my personal um, website is Catherine Peters, uh, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E Peters dot com. Um, we will have a bit of content up, uh, but it probably will not be until at least July. Well, thank you both again for coming on the program today. If you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else free on the internet, this will mark the episode's end. But if you'd like to get access to 15 more minutes of conversation, including the lightning round questions, head to the members section at clarinet.com slash subscribe. If you enjoyed today's conversation and want to listen to another podcast interview on this topic, I invite you to check out episode 86 with Garrett Hack. We also discussed some injury prevention techniques and just a different take on many of the similar concepts discussed today. Also, I invite you to check out episode 65 for some information on what it's like attending Clarinet Fest if you've never done so before. I also have a video up on YouTube, and I would highly encourage you to not only attend the festival, but also, of course, attend Catherine and Chelsea's presentation if you're there. Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalese mouthpiece, Complex Resonance at a Reasonable Price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code CLARINET at checkout. The show is also brought to you by Chamber Music Northwest. With over $20,000 in prizes and world-class guests, artists, and vendors, their upcoming Clarinet celebration and competition is an event that you don't want to miss. Learn more at cmnw.org. Don't forget to check out D'Addario's line of Reserve, Reserve Classic, and new Reserve Evolution reads. You can head to your local music store or to clarinet.com slash reads to buy a box right now. That's all for now. Be sure to tune in next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the Clarinet Podcast.